Welcome back to Ghostly Talk. This is Scott L. This is Amber. And the flags are still flying at half-mast here uh, on our compound. We have some bad news to report, which is, it's a tough one to talk about. Um, but I decided I wanted to, you know, this is how I'm keeping her memory alive, I guess. Um, so you guys may remember a while back, <clears throat> we, that was, would have been, she came to us in February of 2019, which really wasn't too long ago, uh, our baby kitty, Jenny, who we, we put some posts up about her on the website and stuff like that. And if you're part of our social media, you probably got inundated with pictures <laughs> of her also on there, our, our baby kitty cat. I, I think we talked about Amber. We talked about her, uh, you know, how she came to us. Didn't, didn't we talk about that? And yeah, she just kind of came into our lives and, uh, long story short, she, uh, we talked about the, th- we talked about the thyroid thing she had in December. We talked about the thyroid thing and, uh, that was December. We got her past that. Uh, we got her to treatment. She was, she was good. And then unfortunately in March, um, we noticed some issues on her face, like a, like a, like a, a wound. So we had that checked out and went through a lot of stuff. And at the end of that, we found out she had cancer. So we basically spent from March, literally the beginning of this whole COVID thing, uh, until uh, it would have been August 7th, which was like a week and a half ago. We fought this hard. Uh, Jenny, our baby kitty, she fought it hard too. Our doctor, uh, more or less, we had the conversation and she said, look, she's in pain. She's suffering we did everything we could. We, we, we had, we had surgeries done. We had chemo done to try to try to help her because there was no place in the world that would, that was a better home for her than this home that she was at. And she was literally the queen of this house. She wanted for nothing. And we wanted it, wanted her in our lives as long as we could. But you know, there's that time where, you know, you, you, you want them in your lives and you don't want them to leave but you also love them so much that you don't want them to suffer either. And just putting an animal through any type of more than may, maybe they, they should need. It's just, it's, it's abuse in my opinion. Um, so we talked to the doctor and unfortunately we had to send her off uh, the best way we could. And that was on August 7th. So yeah, uh, we, we don't, we didn't, I don't think we really made a big thing out of this, you know, on the show here over these last several months or on social media or any of that stuff. It's something that we, it was a battle we were fighting with her. Um, and we, we wanted to get her through it. We did the way and we, I don't know, Amber, are you okay over there? Yeah. You're just kind of, yeah. But I know, I think we're both just still kind of messed up over this thing. Um, but I wanted to talk about it. I I needed to get, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to deal with this and I know Amber's trying to deal with this thing too, because she really became literally the, the light of our lives. She was our, our little baby here and this whole house ran around her. Um, and it's kind of weird still walking in the house and not, you know, yelling baby girl out and going and finding her. Uh, it's just something that, I don't know if I'll ever get over myself. I don't know. And I'm not speaking for Amber either. I'm just speaking for myself. I don't know if it's something I could ever really get over. It's something I think I can only, I can cope with. I'll have to learn how to cope with it as time goes on, but you got to move forward though, too. And that's the one thing that I know, you know, sitting through this thing and, uh, 
just thinking about, you know, how she's not in our lives now, and it really does hurt. I really, I want her back. I there's a part of me that's gone. I know there's a part of me that's gone now, and I know there's a part of Amber that's gone as a result of this. And I want nothing more than to lay down on the bed with her and give her a kiss and a hug. And yeah, that's just not the case anymore. So you got to look forward, man. That's just what you got to do. So we're doing that. Um, shows have been a little sparse because of this too, uh, because we've just been dealing with this. Um, but you got to look forward. That's all you can do here is just look forward. So we're, we're looking forward here. And you know what? This this show, I'm, I'm, really, ha- I'm really happy we did it. Yeah, this I'm, was a fun show. This, was, this really made me... Because I felt, I you know I, I felt shitty for the I, last couple of weeks. I, I felt like really bad. I like interviewing uh, random people. Like our last show was Preston Dennett. He's not a random person, but yeah. I mean, I like also. I really have enjoyed all of our interviews with fellow podcasters. And yeah, and I want to do more of that. There's a really fun camaraderie I think that podcasters share, and so I've I've had a lot of fun doing that. And so we we had. The Southern Gothic podcast tonight. Yeah, and I, it, it's a funny story that I get in. We get into about how I discovered uh, discovered this podcast, and you know, talking to Brandon, and I'm I'm going to screw it up. No, again. you're not. Brand- Sheck Snyder. Sheck Snyder. Sheck Snyder. I, I told you I'd screw not it up. Not checks like the snack. Poor Brandon. I'm so sorry, Brandon. Sheck Snyder. Um, coming coming across his podcast just by chance, as a result of other interests that I have, and getting immersed in it, and having Brandon so graciously want to take the time to talk to us uh, about some great stories and about the South and about these things. It really, it's energizing to be honest with you. Yeah. And, and and people that do these podcasts, you know, especially like Brandon's, they, they become experts on their, on their subject. Totally. You know, they know the history, they know the stories, the hauntings, all the details. And and in fact, sometimes they go above and beyond and find something else out while doing the research to report on their story. Yeah. Um, but if you want the, the details. The details. The details. Yes. Southern Gothic is an immersive narrative podcast that explores the history behind some of the American South's most infamous hauntings, true crime, and folklore. So there's yeah. there's never a dull moment on any of the podcasts. No, there isn't. Oh, my God. Um, so I love good. this. One so of the listener good. reviews, like History Channel, but good. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> And uh, Southern Gothic is an independently produced podcast written and produced by siblings Brandon and Brienne Schecksnyder. Yeah. And you can find them anywhere. You can go to all of the usual stuff, um, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Um, but they're at Southern YouTube. Gothic Media, SouthernGothicMedia.com. Yes. And of course, if you go to That's our website, home. you'll find uh, you'll find them. You know, and Brandon himself. I know we were talking uh, to him after the show, but for a while. But <laughs> yeah, for a long time. Uh, but he's a Love veteran recording engineer with over 15 years' experience in music production. Yeah, yeah. And I think I even read that he like helped produce some like Dolly Parton and Miranda Lambert. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like that's pretty awesome. Like yay. yeah. 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 So um, yeah, we had an awesome time talking about uh, like plantations. Well, haunted plantations. Haunted plantations yeah, which, you know, and these – well, we'll let you get into it. We'll let you get into it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we really enjoyed doing this with Brandon, and we want to thank Brandon again for spending some time with us. Uh, and I think, Brandon, I want to tell you – it's a message to you, man. You you didn't know this when you were talking to us, but you're really helping us out here, and you really helped us tonight. So thank you. Guys, enjoy our interview with Brandon 
Sex Schneider. Oh, oh, Sex Schneider? That didn't sound right. Enjoy. Sex Schneider. Sex Schneider. Ooh, <laughs> enjoy. You know what? Do, do, do what How I'm about doing. enjoy our show? Talking to Brandon from Southern Gothic Podcast. have been for a couple of years now there's been this this thing i discovered uh because i've told people you know anybody listens to this show they know that uh i have a lot of roots from tennessee Uh, a lot of my family's from putnam county central tennessee cookville down that way and i like spending as much time down there as i can which i'm super bummed because i should be down there in a couple weeks again uh for the muddy roots festival but it's not happening and i'm really bummed about that but I've been spending the last few years going to this particular festival that I just mentioned, and there's there's this thing that I was I was introduced to a couple of years ago, a, a style of music, I guess, an aesthetic, an idea, a lifestyle. I mean, it's a lot of things, but it's this idea of uh, of Southern Gothic, right? And it's something I just you know will randomly Google, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what leads us to where we are sitting here tonight and the wonderful, powerful gentleman that we have on the phone. Um, because I come across, I mean, namely, so the Southern Gothic podcast, right? And of, of course, I was like, well, this is this looks interesting. And of course, I dove right in and I knew immediately, I'm like, oh, I really would like to speak to him on our show. So Brandon, and I'm, I'm going to screw it up. I'm, I totally, because I always You're do not. this. You just did it. You just said it correctly. Okay, you can so, do it. I believe in you. Go. Uh, okay. Brandon Schneider. You did it. I, did I get it? Yes, did sir. I, you <laughs> got it. <laughs> Brandon, welcome to Ghostly Talk. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking some time to come and talk to us. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for inviting me. It's it's absolutely a pleasure, and I had no idea you had a family down here in Tennessee. So well, we 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 went back Maybe and we'll forth. See you soon. Yeah, I, I <laughs> well, I saw on the on the on the screen here that yeah, you're from Tennessee also. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah, so, well, I'm I'm New Orleans born and raised, and, mm-hmm. and moved up here for college, and kind of stuck around and and married a Tennessee girl and had Tennessee babies. So <laughs> now. I'm never, <laughs> unfortunately, while my sister and my partner in this podcast is uh, still down in New Orleans. And if, if you've met, ever met a New Orleanian, we are a proud group of people. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I'll probably probably be a Tennessean for the rest of my life now. <laughs> I, just from experience, I can tell you that's not a bad thing at all. It's a, it's, I love Tennessee. It's, it's my favorite place in the country. And I think, you know, there's just a lot to me. Uh, you know, of course, my roots are down there. A lot of family I have is alive and buried down there, too. So it's an emotional thing. Whenever I go down there, I always kind of just feel that kind of draw and that and that heaviness, that gravity, which is not a bad gravity, but it's just that gravity that I feel. It's heavy for me. It's just a heavy feeling being being down there. And oh, I, yeah. I, I like to spend as much time as I can. And, I, you know, 
and you know, getting into some of the more, you know, the more spooky stuff that we're going to talk about, I think that may be part of this equation. And I know there's certain things we're going to touch on here tonight, but you know, I, I do want to ask you, because obviously the Southern Gothic podcast, and I don't want to go down the trope of asking you, so what was your inspiration for starting the show? Um, <laughs> I mean, and I know people get, we get that a lot too. And I, sure. I think everybody who does yeah. this gets that. But there's, this is a very specific topic though i mean southern i mean well the you know southern ghost stories and stuff like that southern gothic's a name obviously um but i you know is there do you think I, let me ask you this what do you think makes the southern like southern ghost stories or southern legends or any of these type of things makes them so unique do you think right well you know the south is an interesting place right now and um i think and it has been for a long time and if you were to go from a perspective of like paranormally speaking, yeah. the South is no more haunted than anywhere else that humans have ever lived. You know, mm -hmm. we've had the same tragedies. We've had the same things, mm -hmm. but at the same time what the South is so unique is that in the last about 300 years, you've had this massive convergence of all these different cultures that have come here, European cultures, uh, coming in and they're, they're taking land from native cultures that have lived here for millennia, mm -hmm. uh, mixing with cultures, you know, the, the French had colonies here, the Spanish had colonies here, the British colonies, we have, we have all these things. And then we also have, uh, this horrific past with enslaved people th that, that have lived here and helped build this society. Mm -hmm. And it's all come together in the, the, for lack of a New Orleanians better term. It's all come together in this gumbo mm -hmm. of cultural <laughs> things that have all mixed together. Yeah. And, and it's all so recent that it's very documentable. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very much a, a very present history that's still here. Well, and we feel that especially with the state of things that are going on right now, it clearly is something, like you said, it's very documentable. It's there. Right. And people are, we're still feeling that I think, and I think, People, you know, and again, this is just my, you know, my take on it is people are looking back on that probably more so nowadays than ever and going, man, you know, what the hell happened here? <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. We, we do. I mean, it, we are where we are right now, um, but those are facts. I mean, yeah. And uh, <laughs> this, this land was taken to a certain degree. I think it really was taken uh, and I'm no history expert. Uh, but yeah, I think that's something that does tie in, especially nowadays where we do have people that are standing up and saying, Hey, you know what? Uh, we need to really look at what happened here and of course not do it again. <laughs> right. Uh, exactly. Exactly. And you know, the, the South it's, it's got a lot of things going on and you know, you can go down a tangent politically or culturally or yeah. anything else. Um, and, and, you know, you can go there with that. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, ultimately what we're trying to do here and, and what we are is it's a culture that has been here for about 300 years. And a lot of groups have been very isolated in these different portions of places, whether it's Appalachia, whether it's the coastline of Carolina, whether it's New Orleans, that was a port or Charleston, that was a port town. And just all these cultures came in and created these little spots these regional spots that all just had these unique elements and that causes conflict yeah. and we can recognize it and we can move forward and you know if if we do want to go culturally or politically we can say 
hey, we've been through this and we just have to continue on looking back at history. And, um, you know, we, we put a lot of pride in our history in a sense of understanding the truth yeah. about history. So, yeah, it's a, and it's a tough thing to say. I get that. And yeah, I don't want us to be, <laughs> I mentioned, we mentioned before, uh, we started doing this thing like, Oh, we had no problem going into the weeds. And like, these are, now we're going into the weeds and these are maybe <laughs> weeds. I don't, I don't think either of us want to go into, but it's, but it is interesting to think about that. Um, cause yeah. Okay. Well, it is where it is and I'm not proud of it and nobody else is proud of it. Maybe we should move forward. Um, but never forget, never forget. Right. right? Um, well, and like Brandon said, like yeah. there's, you know, every part of the United States is just as haunted. It's not just the South is more haunted than oh, no, I, you know, yeah, Massachusetts or anything. But there is something unsettling sometimes about the history of the South with slavery and such. And, and also there's that issue that, that things, stories, and maybe even ghost stories and, and stories about, uh, you know, ghosts of slaves have been romanticized. Like, for example, the word antebellum just had an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, like Lady Antebellum changed their name, the country group. Yeah. Because it's this idea of this, rom- this romanticism of a pre-Civil War South. That's mm-hmm. that's been there. And so I know that there's some people that have like, you know, start to get, you know, like, I, I don't know, there's a there's a different, maybe fresh look at some of these uh, plantation stories, especially there's like, been a I mean, especially over. And the I'm sure West. Brandon can talk on some of these, especially like the Myrtles oh, or any. Oh, of yeah. These. Especially, yeah. And, you know, yeah. I think I think one of the things that that we deal with now, um, these things are obviously very open about the problems that we've had. It's very open. And the only thing that's stopping us from really recognizing these things moving forward and correcting these issues is whether or not, you know, us folk in Tennessee doubled down or not, you know, whether or not, (laughs) whether or not we're ready to move forward with it. And ghost stories to me, you know, when, when I do ghost stories and when we talk about these things, ghost stories are this little niche of the South where we do see those romanticisms, like you said, these things where we've held on to these stories because they're just ghosts, right? To regular people. This is just a ghost (laughs) story, right? You know, like this isn't, this is nothing. Um, But yet it really exposes at the same time some of the things that we've doubled down on in some ways. Um, In other ways, it, it exposes things that really make up the culture. And you can understand Southern culture better once you kind of get this this mile high overview of how we look at plantation culture from mm. the underbelly side yeah and that's what makes your podcast it, it drives home the point and this is what when i listen to each one of these episodes in prep for this um i kept repeating it in my mind because we talk about this a lot on the show is especially if you want to study ghosts or you're you're out there as a researcher I, we always have found and everybody we talk to finds that you become more of a historian than you do any type of ghost researcher, I guess. Right. And the Southern Gothic podcast drives that point home like no other, because I mean, and what I love about about the episodes is there what 20, let's say 20 to 25 to maybe maybe pushing past 25 minutes long. So I right. love that. Because uh, you know there you can you can get a really really piece of interesting history and a great ghost story too, uh, in under a half an hour, right? And I know I, unfortunately we live in a society where yeah people have a bit shorter of an attention span, right? Um, I feel attacked, Scott. No 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 not at all. They're twenty five minutes because that's all the attention I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
But no, there's a lot crammed in there though too. And that's what I was saying is there's a ton of history we hear in each one of these stories. And really, it seems while the ghosts are really that's that's the headliner here you know uh but it it seems like the ghost story is kind of the cherry on top for the whole thing and really what the story is it's a piece of history you're talking about am i correct on that exactly you know i I think on our best days um you know i'll just mention i know i'm I'm like the figurehead of this podcast but i do this with my sister who has a uh, master's in library science and and a major in history and she's an archivist, and so she does a lot of the really in-depth research, and she's the one that really puts that authentic, um, you know, vibe to it yeah. that yeah. gives us the ability to to really present it in a way that isn't just a romantic tale, right? Um, so, what on our best days, on our best days, what we're trying to do is we're not trying to say that a ghost, a haunting any of those things do or don't exist. But what we're most interested in is we're interested in how it evolves. And we're interested in how a ghost story, how a story about a plantation ghost that a person who might've died in, let's say 1868, how this evolved from the time of 1868 until 2020 and the way that it has been presented as oral history for maybe the first 40, 50 years of its life maybe reaching into to some early publications where you had um, some county historian came around and, and, and documented uh, somebody whose dad told him about this story, then going further down all of a sudden into what mass media is now where, where Ghost Adventures visited and picked up this story. And it's evolved over the course of that almost 100 or not quite 150 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what that's kind of where we sit in regards to what interests us the most is kind of this evolution and what does that evolution say in terms of the context of history and the South and everything else um, on our best days, right? (laughs) Well, and do you find, just out of curiosity, do you Uh find that some of these stories start to amp up and get snowball effect, I guess, let's say, over time, because we know story, we've heard, you know, there's lots of stories and legends where they seem to get that when they're passed down and passed down, whether it be something more of a, an official uh, unit or just people talking around a campfire. Do you find that they're gaining, do they, they gain momentum and get more bombastic, I guess? Exaggerated. Exa- there you go. That's the word I'm looking for. Exaggerated. Oh, or do they, or do they, go ahead. You're talking to a Southerner. <laughs> I mean, that's what we do. Hold my beer. Let me scare you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we uh, everything we do. You know, I, I just just in the in the conversation we're saying. You know, I, I've been thinking about lately this story in Alexandria, the legend of the female stranger, that uh, there's a a tomb in Old Town Alexandria from right after the the War of 1812. A mysterious woman shows up in Alexandria, Virginia, with a mysterious Englishman, and she's sick. And she ends up dying. And the man mysteriously, he doesn't say his name. And he buries her in this plot after, after, um, or excuse me, uh, after, uh, um, loaning, not loaning. What's the word? <laughs> after, um, taking money from some borrowing. Money. Oh, borrowing. Yeah, yeah, yes, okay. All right. yes. Borrowing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so he, he borrows money, puts her in this plot. There's a tombstone here. 
he puts this romantic verse on the tombstone. Here lies the female stranger, basically doesn't say her name or anything, right? Well, this story, you know, she dies somewhere around, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, it's somewhere around 18, 1814, 1815. Well, a newspaper picks it up at about 1830 and sees that tombstone and says, huh, this is really interesting. So they start adding a little context around it. Well, the next thing you know, we find about 1880s, we find more newspapers that pick this up. And now there's a news story attached where somebody told a newspaper reporter that a family friend of this person came to town and told them more about it. So now we've added this element. Then we get a little further into the 1900s. And the next thing you know, what we get is we start going into this mass publishing era where now this story is in these books of mysteries. And all of a sudden, it's in a different romantic place where they're kind of compiling all of these things, but yet they're kind of going to change it a little because they want their readers to be excited. Mm -hmm. And then we fast forward now, and now we have haunted history tours there. Mm -hmm. And now we have the Old Town Alexandria tours is talking about this, uh, this you know, colonial, well, it wasn't colonial, but the but this 1814 1815 person and talking about this haunted legend that it was and every single time it's changed along the way and it's really interesting seeing why and how that's what i i find that fascinating about folklore because i've seen that in michigan when i when i research particular areas you see it change from from the decades and then who, who you know what group starts talking about it was it adults or was it teens um you know it kind of goes like culturally like a like what was the there was like a makeout spot in the woods in my hometown, so that was kind of the weird spot. And then later on, <laughs> you like, had one too. Yeah, I was yeah. Say everybody's got a makeout spot. And so like then the story would start about seeing this blue light by this area, and then all of a sudden in the eighties, you know, kids are hanging up in in this older other part of the cemetery. So now the blue light is over there, and now it's a blue man. And it's interesting how that happens. And I also feel that with the the rise of paranormal interest and historical tours uh, with a ghostly slant over the past couple decades that I do feel some of this stuff, such as like the Myrtles Plantation, has taken on this legendary aspect in the stories that aren't necessarily historically factual. And like you said, we continue to tell the legends and the folklore and the story. But what I, what I find interesting, especially like the Myrtles, is like I get weirded out with this because the history. I'll spit it out. Well, like it's not true. <laughs> like it's like they they only like from what it's I understand. True. Like I there's I'm not an expert on the Myrtles by any chance, but from what I've read, there's like one documented murder on the porch, and right. no one knows if Chloe, the legendary ghost girl, that in her story there, mm -hmm. like there's no evidence of her. Which then again, I kind of play devil's advocate because I'm like, well, how how accurate were slave records back in the day? Like not always right. accurate. So then you, you go on to have like some stories, like ghost stories start, I think I read something about like they kind of cropped up in the 50s, like a, some ghost stories around the Myrtles. And then someone buys it in 1980 and she turns it into a bed and breakfast Yeah, and then puts a book out like in 2005 with, you know, allegedly a lot of her paranormal experiences. And I'm not going to judge uh, the author of that book because I haven't read it and, and who's to say that she didn't have experiences there. But then all of a sudden, you know, becomes considered one of the most uh, haunted places in America and <laughs> continues to be this, you know, place that people flock to that have an interest yeah. in the paranormal. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on the Myrtles? Because I know you, you did one of your podcast stories on um, that, that iconic place. Well, you know, the Myrtles is, a, is, a, is an interesting 
plantation when it comes to everything you said, because you were exactly dead on with all of it. You know, uh, the Myrtles definitely as a plantation, it clearly rich people live there. Yeah. And there were a lot of slaves that lived there. And it, it was in a part of, you know, the Mississippi River between New Orleans and Natchez was there were more millionaires that lived there pre or antebellum than there were in New York at wow. the time. And so it was a very, very rich area. And the Myrtles today is a bed and breakfast and they very much bank on their dark tourism. I've been there. I don't know if you guys have. We haven't. No, we haven't. It's absolutely creepy. And you can absolutely <laughs> go there and you understand why it's there. And why, and while I'll say in, in a lot of ways, you know, how we do research, we kind of try and do it agnostically, if that makes sense when it comes to paranormal I think that if you are going to see a ghost, the Myrtles is a prime place to do it because of what went on there, mm -hmm. historically speaking. On the other hand, like you're saying, it's very romanticized and there isn't a lot of background on it. So right. what you had was Francis Kermine uh, purchased this, this, this bed and breakfast. Uh, I believe it was early 80s, like you were saying, yeah. and she wrote a book. And it was outright called The Myrtle's Plantation, America's Most Haunted Home. Yeah. <laughs> and she wrote all these stories about all these things that happened. And and within her book, you know, she mentions all the tropes that we hear. Um, she thinks it might have been built on a tunica burial ground. Yeah. Right. Um, she there's a lot of these things where. I won't doubt her for a second in believing that she experienced a paranormal experience while living right. there. But the story of Chloe, unfortunately, is a very stereotypical, um, very stereotypical Southern white view of what a, a an enslaved person threatened to white society. Yeah. So the story of Chloe... Uh, to anyone who hasn't heard it, essentially what Chloe was, was Chloe was a mixed race slave. She uh, was able to move into the the big house, quote, uh, because she was the mistress of the master of the house. And of course, he wanted his concubine to live with him. And then, of course, the story goes on that that over the years they grow apart. And Chloe is very scared about having to go back and work in the fields and so Chloe, one day, Chloe's eavesdropping on her master, uh, for lack of a better term. This, this is what it was. Mm -hmm. And he over overhears this and he throws a fit of rage, ends up chopping off her ear. And forever she's doomed to wear this green turban that covers up her scars. But the story doesn't end there. Chloe wants to get back into the big house. She doesn't want to be outside of this. So here is this young woman that has to decide what she's going to do. And what she does is she decides that she's going to put a oleander leaves in the cake, the birthday cake of the children's birthday cake, make them sick. And then she's going to nurse them back to health. And everyone is just going to be enamored by how incredible she is for helping the family and she's going to have her place back in the home. And so she does this. And then as the story goes, what ends up happening is Chloe puts too much oleander in there. 
And all the children and the wife die. So, of course, Chloe now, I mean, she's freaked out. She runs out. She runs out because she wants help and protection from her fellow enslaved people. And, of course, they turn on her and hang her. And so Chloe, Chloe's murdered um, after this so-called murder. Now, the reason, like, when we look at the Myrtles and we look at the story that Francis Kermine told and everything is that, you know, we can look at census records. Brienne and I have found the census records. We've found uh, the plots where these people were buried. We've found all of these things. And we've been able to research who these people are. And the children died several months apart, most likely from yellow fever. The wife died at the same time, and another child lived on for another 30 years. So instantly, we know the story's not incredibly accurate. Right. Yeah. At the same time, this was, um, uh, this was still at the point where census records weren't showing children. So we don't know exactly which children were living there. And the... Um, and the documents that were the, uh, the, the the slave documents, we we don't have names on those things. So we we will never be able to know if Chloe was a real person. But looking back now and seeing how the story developed and the fact that there's been no mention of Chloe until Francis Kermine puts this out in the 80s, it makes us look at it different. Mm-hmm. And there, there, there has actually been uh, an African-American hist- history professor from Harvard that's even written about this. Where she's broken it down to where Chloe is essentially has kind of been this stereotype that was put there to promote dark tourism. So as someone who, you know, these plantations have become these tourist spots for the South, you know, they're gorgeous. They're beautiful Mm -hmm. on the surface. And the history and even in the way that I grew up in, in, you know, I'm 37 years old, so I'm not even that old, but even in the way that I grew up in, in viewing plantations isn't what's congruent with what actual history is. <laughs> you know, let's be honest. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we look at this story and we, th- and what it allows us in a lot of ways is it's, it's kind of this, this little tale that lets us flirt with the devastation and the tragedies that happen at these places while still retaining our power over it. Mm. Yeah. We still get to, we still kind of get to go there and pretend like, yes, I would be the house master and this is what went on. And I expect, you know, and, um, my children being hurt by this woman and, uh, all those things. And the fact that she is essentially a, a, a mixed race concubine was kind of a societal fear at that point that your husband would be interested in, in, in having a relationship with a mixed race enslaved person. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a, that one in particular, it kind of grinds my gears a little yeah. sometimes. Well, <laughs> in, in stepping back on that a little bit, it, it it's driving another points home that we've discussed. You know, it's something I think it's very, it's, it's a topic that's very alive and well in this, in what you're, what you were calling dark tourism, right? Because right. um, I've, I've seen this happen over and over again. Um, We've had thing, we've had locations here in Michigan, and I'm talking about old buildings, just just an old building. I mean, not some Victorian mansion or something that, look, that would have that classic look of like, oh, that's pretty creepy looking, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've seen buildings just be bought, and next thing you know, there's tours being done there, right? And next thing I know, there's these tales being spun up 
and again, I'm trying to be nice about this, but it never comes out nice. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, I, uh, but you know, I have Southern in my name. I'm constantly treading the line lately. To be <laughs> but like, you know, all of a sudden you have stories being told. Well, there was a murder here, and the ghost right. of this person walks around this building now. And for only fifty dollars, you can come here and walk around the building too, and take pictures. And you might get the picture. Of, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so I call that classically i call that manufacturing a haunt basically i mean you that's know, a, oh i'm gonna steal that <laughs> go, go right ahead um so and and the reason i say that is because i've actually asked this question to a, a handful of people over the, over many years and the the answer has always been the same so i say okay so there's never really been anything i've seen and i mean i'm no i'm not some expert historian myself uh, but my question simply is, okay, where's the documentation of this story that you're you're telling? Is there anything out there? And I understand that sometimes, like we've already established that, some stuff just isn't documented that well. I get that, right? Um, but still, is there something that you have to, anything, any morsel of anything to even support a story like that? And the few times I've asked that question, I've, I've been answered with, blank stairs basically <laughs> you know and right. i'm not again i'm not trying to beat up on people or, or anything like that but this is these are this drives this whole point home with myrtle's plantation and and the story you told is just that i mean and again we don't know again it's it's all history and to be fair again i'm going to say it over and over again that um yes yeah, stuff may not be documented that well but there is that idea i think that of manufacturing a haunt and hey it's america you can do whatever you want to make a living here i get it <laughs> um but i think yeah we both are kind of i think we both kind of grit our teeth a little bit at that when clearly like a story that was just told it's been proven to not be historically very accurate i guess um but it sells books and also people want to, and I, you know what? I mean, I agree. I, I know without going to Myrtle's plantation that it would be somewhere that I would never forget after oh, I, I'd after love I, it. I, I, we're going to go somewhere. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's gorgeous too. And, yeah. and you know, and I'm in no way pushing anyone off from going there. Either am I. And I'm in no way yeah. pushing anyone off from, uh, from experiencing what might be there because there is documented tragedy there. Uh, there's no reason why it wouldn't be haunted. Yeah. You know, we, we kind of question, there's no reason, you know, people have, have, have posted pictures you know there's a there's a mirror in the foyer that handprints continually pop up on there's a couple of iconic pictures of uh, a young girl in a mirror and in no way does this invalidate any of those hauntings yeah it's just questioning how have we romanticized it and what do we really understand yeah. with what we're dealing with and and that's what that's a place, you know, the Myrtles, it's interesting because the Myrtles really, it popped up at a time when, when mass media was ready for a place like that. It was kind of right pre uh, travel channel and history channel having, having ghost, you know, the, the ghost series and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But it was right, right at the point where tourism was popping up and, and right at the point where, where plantations had really hit a point of being tourist destinations. You know, because plantations, even in their own history, you kind of have this history of, you know, after the Civil War, essentially, the majority of them went downhill. And and a lot of them, because these plantation owners didn't have money anymore, and, and 
that's a, a really whitewashed way of saying they lost all their assets when they couldn't have enslaved people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they couldn't continue running these things. So you kind of see this trend with a lot of plantations of you kind of hit, you know, 1900, maybe the family still owns it right at the turn of the century. And then all of a sudden the plantation starts going downhill and it starts becoming decrepit. It starts getting run down. It hasn't been modernized. Maybe it sat there. Maybe it caught on fire. That kind of thing starts happening between 1900, 1950. Then you start seeing this resurgence of preservation. It's popping up after that where the sixties and the seventies, where local counties are starting to preserve these buildings for, for their historical value and then after that, you start seeing this tourism pop in and this this kind of bed and breakfast culture and things like that. And not all plantation ghost stories are necessarily a product of this dark tourism. You know, we can talk about several that go back way further than this. But um, the Myrtles itself really is is kind of indicative of, of manufactured ghost stories. Yeah. Like you're saying. <laughs> right. Well, tell, tell us about some of the ones that go farther back that maybe aren't so manufactured. Yeah. Plantations, especially. Yeah. Well, what we see a lot is we see a lot of common themes over and over again, and they're very much tied to history and they're very much tied to the reality of what happened, but they do gloss over the scarier points of what happened there. So, you know, we see a particular trend where obviously you have these plantations when they started popping up in the early 19th century were kind of, they were the palaces of these little towns. All right. So when I say Gothic, we Gothic is kind of an ode to, to old British and English castles and, and Bram's and Bram Stoker yeah. kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a nod to that where that's what he was talking about with Dracula was here's these fallen castles that still have these families that, you know, must be haunted. And so the plantation culture, it kind of popped up and there were these little, these, these were palaces. These were, these were icons of affluence. And then what happens is these guys who were kind of what you would consider the, uh, the main people in town, the, the kind of uh, forefathers of these little towns, after the Civil War, they lost all their money. Um, Again, what a lot of times we see in romanticized stories, we say that their money was caught up in Confederate dollars, which after the war didn't account for much. But at the same time, um, you know, losing enslaved people were their assets in the same way that land was their assets. So if you were going to value a human being's life at a certain point and you just lost a hundred of those people, then you lost uh, the vast majority of your wealth. And so we see a lot of stories where these men become alcoholics. These men start gambling. These men just lose all their money and everything, and they and they inevitably do something stupid and die, and their ghost haunts the place. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> one example is uh, that that I enjoy the most is a uh, Drish House down oh, in Tuscaloosa, yeah. Alabama. Mm-hmm. And you know Tuscaloosa, right? Roll Tide, if you want to. Um, I, I won't. I'll stick with LSU. But anyway, Tuscaloosa, <laughs> Alabama. The Drish House, this this plantation. Here's this man who who he made a living. He had uh, what can best be described as his the the people that his enslaved his enslaved workforce were artisans, and he basically was a contractor building buildings, and basically taking money from people to build places in Tuscaloosa, and using his free workforce to do it. And these were, these were skilled laborers. This wasn't folks just picking cotton or anything else or any other type of stereotype. 
And so he made a lot of money doing it. His name was Dr. Drish. And he moved to Tuscaloosa, helped build Tuscaloosa, and was a contractor for Tuscaloosa. But of course, as, as the war came on, like many things, he started losing his money. He obviously no longer had his workforce and would have to buy people. And he got drunk. And he got into fights with his daughter. And he was a big old mess of a human at the end of the day, as per the story, mm. right? And eventually, some stories say that Dr. Drish was trying to come off of his alcohol seizures and the, uh, quote, servants, as a lot of the, the stories will try and say, were trying to hold him down at the bed and keep him, and he broke free, and he ran out and fell off the balcony of his house. And this is a beautiful house, by the way, that he basically, he built this house. If you go in Tuscaloosa now, it's right in Tuscaloosa. This is this giant, beautiful plantation that's been restored in the middle of Tuscaloosa, right across the street from like a McDonald's, basically. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, what was once 400 acres is now basically a city block, but it's still there. And yeah, we're looking at um, pictures of it right now as, as, as you're discussing. It is. This. I, I kind of want this house. Oh, it's, it's, it's gorgeous. It's and amazing. it's kind of, it's a little bit kind of maybe, I would say it's kind of a, a warehouse district, maybe part of Tuscaloosa. Um, I don't know enough about Tuscaloosa's various neighborhoods, but I, you know, I visited there. And he he built this giant tower out front that was that was meant to so he could go up there and he could look out over his land and he could spy on his neighbor and see if he was building a better place than his neighbor because <laughs> what else are you gonna do as a as a rich guy back then right how how big a house can I build well, well I mean, so he I, I don't want to cut you off but I have this version I do, of Google Earth I do, <laughs> I do <laughs> want to ask this because I mean there the plantation culture you mentioned um, and these stories that I listened to. Uh, on your podcast, uh, there was that 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 thread going through there, where these beautiful—I mean, in the one we're looking at right now, uh, the Drish House that we're discussing—it's it, amazing. I mean, anybody listening to the show, it's easy. Just Google it. You're going to have a million pictures to look at. Uh, but it was this this well, you said the term affluence, right? It seems like all right. these p all these different stories we hear. It's just like I am going to build the grandest building ever created, right? It's this idea. <laughs> um, it, it just this it's it just and this house is massive. Yeah, it just and it has this massive tower out front, and I don't. It just it just seems to be that thread that run through there is like I have to outdo. It's a big ego trip. <laughs> I don't Absolutely. know. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I and, you know here's what's different about the South too is is a lot of the people that came down to do this were not the this was not generational money for a lot of them and that's why the south kind of has this in, indignant self-reliant culture in a lot of ways is that you know all the all the generational money of the east coast that came over to america that that built these these grand colonies they pushed out a lot of this kind of uh, this kind of other element of European. And these were the men that, that went out to the South to make their mark in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. And mm -hmm. while, you know, these men came out here and, you know, there were doctors and lawyers and they helped establish these plantations. And they, they obviously had this amount of like, what you would call chutzpah, right? You know, like the, <laughs> this kind of, that kind of, I'm going to go out and I'm going to carve 500 acres of trees down and build a plantation. And so they, they had this entrepreneurial sense that did not come from generational money on, on the majority front. 
Um, and you know, the problematic part comes in that they weren't the ones out there with the saw, but no. you know, uh, so yeah, they were all about the elegance, all about kind of showing off and, and, and trying to make something better than the people that they were competing with. Flamboyant. That's flamboyant. Flamboyant. That's a good word. That, that's because I mean, this house, the, the, the Drish house we're looking at, and the, I, was, I was trying to put my finger on that, on something, and that is the word. I mean, it's a beautiful house, but it's flamboyant. It just, it's loud. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I mean, and well, nothing, nothing I'm so, saying is, is mean, and I'm not trying, I'm not really making fun of it, um, but it's, it's, it's loud. It speaks like I have money. <laughs> absolutely so i you know we don't we don't know because we don't have pictures from back then but mm -hmm. uh the basic understanding is that he actually he built that house and he made every room in a different style oh, and wow. to try and make it a showcase house yeah for the people he was selling to for the people he was trying to build homes for so it's kind of a mixture of styles when you hear about you know if something's gonna be gothic or you know, it's going to be some type of Italian style, some type of other, you know, Greek, romantic, uh, Greco, you, it, all those things. He kind of put those all together in that, that house. So yeah, it's it was, a unique one for sure. It was a model home, so to say, for, yeah, for, for, for potential buyers, other people that, to do work for them. I, I remember hearing that uh, in, your, in, your, in this episode, and I thought that was very interesting that it was not only his home, but it was also, it was also a, a selling point of something he would show off to people. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was super neat. So, um, there was a, well, something about, wasn't there something about candles in the legend of this house? Oh, we, we haven't told the ghost story. Oh, oh, yeah, we, yeah, we were yeah, just yeah, telling the background. Yeah, we I'm jumping about, ahead. We're sitting here freaking out about the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, what happened was, so so he basically, he ends up dying. He falls from the stairs, falls from the balcony. However, <laughs> however whoever tells the story basically is going to kind of outline which version of that. Uh, his wife is is just absolutely in grief. Uh, they have a funeral service, lay him out in the front foyer of the home. And she decides that I'm going to save the candles that were at this service. I'm going to save these. And when I die, I want these lit at mine. And, of course, what happens is that when she passes away 20 years later, they can't find the candles. Naturally. Uh-oh. So now what we have is now we have phantom fires are happening from this beautiful tower that's towering over early Tuscaloosa in the early 20th century. As we have reports of, of the, the tower has flames in it, whether some people talking about whether the tower is actually on fire, some people talking about it flickering. Um, one of, when I talk about, when I mentioned about how uh, publishing kind of came this, this, this giant force of romanticizing ghost stories. Uh, one of the most, most famous is Catherine Tucker Wyndham, who wrote this book or, or her most famous book is 13 Alabama ghosts and Jeffrey. Mm -hmm. And it came out and I believe it was 67 and she outlines this and, and she talks about basically the new owners of the house are woken up by the fire department and they're like, your house is on fire. And you know, and these guys are like, wait, what? And they get up and there's no evidence of flames, but yet this keeps occurring and people around the neighborhood, people around the area keep seeing these flames that were, that were the, the missing funerary candles of Mrs. Drish. Um, but that house went through a lot to get there. And that house basically became a garage at one point. It was, yeah. it was featured in, um, I believe it was the, uh, the Met up in New York. It had a, um, 
a famous picture of it run down during the depression with the whole thing just torn apart in an awful condition. Mm. So if you can imagine if you were early 20th century and, and your, your grandparents were telling you stories about Mr. Drish, who used to, used to be this, this, this massive personality in Tuscaloosa, you can see how these things might end up being manufactured a little. Yeah, for sure. I, I wondered because that book comes up a lot in your shows, the um, Alabama Ghosts, and which I have to ask, what? Who's Jeffrey? <laughs> What's, no kidding. Does anyone know who Jeffrey is? <laughs> well, in her introduction in the book, she mentions that's that's her own personal ghost that oh. got her on the past of ghosts. Okay, um, but, I, I kind of oh, chuckled she's... at that title, but I, I wondered if if she. Because we have a few books in Michigan that were written by some people, like, you know, I think it was around the 70s, 80s. And they sort of just retold stories as they had heard them. And then they get put down in, you know, their public, 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 oh, my God, I can't talk. (laughs) They are put down in a book. And then, boom, they because they're the written word now, people sort of take that as fact. And then they run with that story. And then they don't fact check it or anything. And now that it's easier to fact check things or to go digging in historical newspapers. Let's face it, if you wanted to go looking into old newspapers 15, even 20 years ago, you're sitting in a dusty archive in front of one of those nauseating uh, contraptions that, you know, move the paper in front of you, the microfiche. Oh, microfiche. You, you would have to be my sister and yeah. understand yeah. how to do all of these things. Oh, yeah. And, uh, exactly. and, and I work yeah. in a library too. Like I'm a, ner- I'm, I'm, oh, no yeah. Kidding. So like when you said your sister did all that, I was like, ah. Rantlers popped up when you said spirit. that. spirit. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I just, I kind of wondered if this book was also one of those type of books that this author romanticized the stories as she heard them in the 60s, wrote them down. And then for decades after that, people believed this is the story. This is how it is. It's ones and zeros. You know, I, I wondered about that. I, I would say, you know, this is just pure supposition and it's it's all based on I'm not gonna go on an individual individual basis, but generally every state has their own thirteen Alabama ghosts right. and Jeffrey yeah, you're popped right. up at some point in the sixties and the seventies and just because likely because publishing was able to to start marketing that type of material in, in that kind of mass market sense. So we do see a lot of them. There's, you know, there's a different one. I, I off the top of my head right now, I can't think of. There's a West Virginia one and a Virginia one, and I mean, there's these people keep popping up, and they are romantic. But when you think about when the way we talk about Southern culture and the way we look at Southern culture, and and with the Civil War kind of being this defining point in Southern culture and in in history and how it gets viewed. The people who were writing these books in the 60s and the 70s were really only about two or three generations removed from what actually happened during that time. So this is – they're basically chronicling what their grandparents told them. They're basically chronicling what maybe you know their friends' grandparents, whatever little local legends were chronicling. So I don't think there was anything malicious about it. I think it – in a lot of ways, it was kind of just trying to put pen to paper. Yep. Um, you know, if Brianna and I have spent a lot of time looking at random county archives as uh, websites that have oral histories trying to find things that predated these books. And um, that's how it went, you know, for a generation or two. And like I said, us Southerners, we like stories. You know, we're going to romanticize <laughs> anything. So, of course, she did. 
And now it's 2020 and we can spend a hundred bucks on an ancestry.com yep. account yep. and we can spend $8 on a newspapers.com yep. account and we can find every census record yep. and a whole ton of newspaper records yep. and we can, you know, in 20 minutes we can probably invalidate a story that's 200 yep. years old if we really want to, <laughs> you know. It's fun. So, I love doing stuff like that. I, there was a story. Invalidating things? I, no, not, not no, not from a malicious standpoint. Yeah, no, but, I know. But there is this like you feel kind of like this, um, you know, digital detective a bit, or you know, digital archaeologist, I guess, sitting there behind the keyboard. And and there was a story that was told from Grand Rapids, Michigan, for the longest time that was just exaggerated about this Michigan Bell building and the things that went on there. And then one day, I just happened to put in a few keywords, and I'm like, oh, that's that story. Oh my. They had it all wrong and found out, like, <laughs> yeah. the, the you know, they had the names wrong, exactly what happened. But you saw how memory doesn't always serve us well. And so you saw, like, eh, it was loosely based on a true story. And it just, I don't know. So now it's been published in books and stuff because other people have found the story, too. And yeah. so it's nice to see that there is this new generation of publishing that's saying, well, you know, here's the story that was told for a while, but... Here's the real story, which, of course, is the best thing ever. Like, I, I, want, I want that real history. Right. That's, yeah. that's what I love about being able to dig for stuff like this. But yeah. with, with, with these stories, uh, one of the stories on your podcast is, like, the quintessential ghost story. And that involves romance, the romantic notion in a different way. And it's the bride of uh, Annandale. Annandale. Yeah. Annandale. And I love. Which, I, which is a epic tale. Yeah, it's I I, I would love to discuss that one with our last like ten minutes. All right. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, the Bride of Annandale. It's really you're saying it's quintessential. It really is. Yeah. Um, you know, I was talking about earlier about the the fallen rich man, right? Yep. Yeah. But the fallen rich man's daughter. Yep. Is really the story of plantation culture that came out, and the Bride of Annandale as a story. Uh, this was. It, this was actually, it was 1850s, so this was pre-Civil War. Essentially, uh, this this young woman fell in love with a man named Henry Vick, who's mm. related to the folks that founded Vicksburg, uh, fell in love with him. He goes off to New Orleans before his wedding, and of course, his pride gets in his way like a good Southern boy, and he ends up in a duel. <laughs> and he ends up, you know, he... Of course, the story says that he decides in this duel that he fires his shot in the air to say, I have no interest in killing you. And yeah. the man he's dueling with shoots him straight between the eyes. Right. So here's this woman now, this young woman who on the day she's supposed to get married is having a funeral for what would have been her husband yeah. in the church that her parents built. And it's still decorated in a way that would have been her wedding. Now, it's not a it's not I say as a plantation story, the plantation's no longer there, so it didn't rise up as as some type of dark tourism. This is something that predated that kind of dark tourism thing. But the story of that is so quintessential that I cannot tell you how many plantations I've come across whether the woman fell in love with a Confederate soldier who never came home. Yeah. Uh, the the woman, excuse me, the the young woman. It's usually a teenage girl. Mm -hmm. uh, it's 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 the princess of the plantation, and he doesn't come home, and she falls ill and dies. And reality says she 
might have died from yellow fever or something like that. If we can validate she died when she did. Um, the story will say she died from being heartbroken. Some of them were suicides. There are some that, that the story says it was suicide. Uh, there's some in Virginia that talks about this woman, a revolutionary war soldier. So it even kind of tries to date back further than that. Whether or not she actually fell in love with a revolutionary war soldier, you, I, I haven't been able to date those parts. But mm. this quintessential story of this heartbroken young woman was so, so popular in Southern culture that when William Faulkner, the the quintessential yeah. Southern yeah. author, yep. when when he bought his family home in the 1920s, he bought, he calls it Roanoke. It was called Bailey's Place before him. It was an antebellum home and he purchased this home because obviously it was his aesthetic of growing up in the South. And it, it, it really embodied in a lot of ways, his work of, of what he was saying about the South. What he decided to do when he got there was write his own ghost story about it. And this was the 1920s. Mm. And so there's a, there's a work by a uh, Dean Faulkner. Um, oh my gosh, I can't remember her married name now, but basically one of his nieces uh, has published the story of how he told her, how he told the kids every Halloween this story about Judith. And Judith was a young woman who fell in love with a with a Union soldier who needed to be recuperated back to health after uh, after he was in battle, in a nearby battle. She fell in love with him. He, of course, ran away after he got better and never came back. So she jumped off the front balcony. The next morning, the family wakes up. The colonel... We all we always call the 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 men of the South during that time are always called Colonel for some reason. <laughs> the Colonel comes downstairs and finds his beloved daughter, you know, dead from from this this awful romantic tragedy. He buries her under this tree on the property. And William Faulkner wrote this entirely fiction in the 1920s, 1930s. But yet, this is a theme yeah. that I can probably. If I sat down and went through all my notes, could give you at least a dozen other plantations that have a very similar story. So mm. it's it's something that embodies a lot of what that culture coming out of the Civil War and that um, that that Reconstruction era Southerner was looking at and what they glorified and what they didn't. Well, and do you know if like with the duel with the story of Anne and uh, I was gonna, the bride? Yeah, do you, step it back. Yeah. I want to talk about duels you, for a second, but you well, go ahead. I just wonder <laughs> when you guys did your research. Did did was he really shot in duel? Was that was that proven? Okay, I didn't find anything. Okay, exactly. If that's how he died, but he did die before then. Okay, so we were able to find. Uh, I believe it was tombstone. Um, <laughs> If any of you guys find a grave.com. Oh, it's the best. Is, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that's that's the first place you always yes. start with the ghost stories, findagrave.com. But, you know, it's he did. Uh, he was a real person. He really lived. That really happened to him. Yeah. Whether or not it's a duel or not, it, right. it could be apocryphal. It might not. Yeah. You, des you describe the duel uh, in mm -hmm. the story going back to Bride of Anna Annandale. Uh, and, you know, I've. I never thought about it that much, I guess, as far as what a duel is uh, with guns, with, with fire, with, with, with machines that create explosions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I always thought 
Okay, we're gonna stand back to back. We're gonna t- we're gonna go 10, 20 paces, turn around and just open up on each other. And whoever goes down first goes <laughs> yes. down first. And stupid. That's the end of it. <laughs> well, it, the whole thing's ridiculous to me. And I, I mean, whatever way it is, men have a have a problem with masculinity, no matter what time well, period. Yeah, right? This is another. This is another. This is another import from Europe too, or export from Europe. Oh uh, sure, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, but the way you described it. In the story is they I guess they stood 30 feet apart from each other and the idea is to more or less satisfy your honor so exactly you just fire the gun wherever I guess and scare the hell out of each other I guess to the point where you feel like okay I feel like I have not been disrespected now I feel better about the situation well, let's go have a beer did someone know. did it always have to end in death or could someone could they give up I, I don't okay, know well, my dual history. Well, you know, I really unfortunately, don't. I don't. I don't have that deep of an understanding <laughs> of dual history either. Yeah. Um, it, other than knowing a bunch of stories of them. Yeah. Right. But, <laughs> but but yeah. It, I mean, that's essentially what it sounds like to me when I read it. In a lot of ways, it. You know, there might have been people who were ready to kill the other person, and then there were other people that were like, "You challenged me to a duel, and my family will be disgraced forever right. if I don't show up." Yeah, and both of us are just going to kind of pop off a shot at each other. And again, this is, you know, early to mid nineteenth century when this was common. I mean, it was illegal at that point, even. But yeah, um, you know, this is kind of it's not exactly like they were fine tuned firearms. There were stormtroopers in Star Wars, right? You yeah. know, I mean, who knows where that bullet's going to go? So I'm sure that there wasn't. Well. I don't know. I take it all back. Let's think about a drunk 20 something with a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And imagine well, what you're going to say to your friend, right? <laughs> and you know what? And this just, it just, it, t- it takes I'm gonna it right home. I'm going to do this. No, I'm going to show couple, him. I'm going to kill him. And a couple of bro, couple of bro dudes. Yeah, with a, no, I'm bro. talking contem- contemporary couple of bro dudes <laughs> with affliction t-shirts on right after a UFC fight at a bar. Yeah. They get shitty with each other. And they're in the parking lot, right? And I guarantee you, it's the same mentality. Because I I was a bouncer for enough years, I know this. Most guys, guys, and I'm saying men, when they tangle up, not even tangle up, when they have a disagreement and there's words, words, let's say specifically, words being thrown back and forth, most of the time, either one of those guys want to exchange any blows. They just want to get out of the situation without losing face. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> That's what this uh, <laughs> is exactly what the duel is. Is you, you got two guys now that are they're in the same thing. They 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 both feel disrespected over over in this case was over land, right? Um and I guess the well, this was a different situation, but I think in most situations it was just that like, okay, look, we're just gonna they don't even say this to each other like in secret. They just but I think maybe it's just something that was an unwritten rule or idea like okay we'll just fire a shot over each other's heads and scream at each other and that'll be the end of it we'll we'll, we'll both walk away unscathed here however that wasn't the case and you're right um maybe somebody really was out to like i really don't like you and i'm gonna kill you today yeah (laughs) sure well and i think that was usually the case yeah which is why it's probably good that the law made that illegal because there was probably a lot of stupid Loss but of it's life. the same thing. It's no different than today. I mean, just go well, on go on yeah. YouTube and just type in Daytona Beach or something like oh, that. I you say type in duel. I'm like, no, no, okay, now I'm going to look whatever. this up. <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing. You just got, you'll have you guys just squirt guns. There, squirt guns. That's that's the solution. Well, you right know, there. Hamilton's hot right well, now. Well, yeah, there right? we go. Hamilton that's the ultimate right duel right there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> 
Yeah. I can go to Disney Plus and I can watch exactly. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and the, sorry, the, I, the, the, no, that's I, okay. I, that fascinated me, the duel, because I'm like, wait, they, I thought it was like just. Well, it's such an old timey thing. You that go just, nuts on each other and you just like just fire and whoever goes you, down first. You know, I mean, it, duels still happen to this day to some extent, like, it, you know, like a dance off. Oh, God. <laughs> what, you know, it's kind of a modern day duel. <laughs> no, so with this, with this she story, though. to get though, tired. I'm not tired. Brandon. With this story. <laughs> <what happens. laughs> with this story, um, it does, like, when we were talking about the classic, you know, female in, in this story. And the sad, the sad ending of this is that she has to go on and choose a different husband because her husband got yeah. himself killed in a duel. And right. goes on to tell this new guy, look, I'll be a good wife, but... Like I'm not gonna love you like I did Henry because he was he was he was my boo, and then <laughs> she ends up like saying I want to be buried, yeah, next to him yeah, when I die, when I and die. then that doesn't happen. So what is that? Ha- well, then that's how you create a ghost. Well, that's you know? and the first and thing then, I thought of was I was gonna go where she's actually buried right now. It's just like out of out of any legend, I was thinking about going where she was buried right now, where she really is. And getting her bones and putting them where they belong. That's what I thought should happen down the road, too. Right. I don't know. if I mean, I'm sure other people have thought that, too. Well, and, and who knows how much that got romanticized over the years. Because she could have ended up falling in love with this new guy. And been like, well, yeah, don't put me by the other guy. You know, I, I really like you. I was with you longer. Well, we don't oh, know. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we have don't no idea know. how that came out. Absolutely. We don't know. We just no. know where she is. And we know the story around it. And whether or not people have seen the haunting or not. Yeah. The, the, her walking around and, and they're they're ladies in white. Yep. That's what we call these young women. Yeah, right. And they, and there yeah. there's a thread with that. Well, is that romanticism? How many ghost stories do we have out there? That, that and I understand, and we've talked about this at great length too. Uh, love, this idea of, of romanticism and love. It's it's a very strong emotion. We all know that. And it seems to be a real piece of glue, or it seems to be a lot of glue with these stories. All ghost stories are caused from strong emotion. Yeah. You know, whether it's love, love. crime, hatred, murder. Yeah. Some, you know, it's always some kind of strong emotion attached to it. It's not ever just, you know, no one reports just seeing some dude sitting on the couch eating popcorn. A ghost. Right. You know, it's it's (laughs) always, there's always something heavier attached to it. Yeah. And and story than, I, I know people have seen weird residual things, like just some random run in front of them and they're like whoa what was that you know but yeah yeah. but they seem to be tied to the stories we tell you know yeah especially the the, The stories that prevail well these southern plantation stories that we talked about tonight too there there seems to be a lot of that involved with that too um and brandon i have to say um we'd love to have you back sometime oh my this god is, this is so much fun i had a riot oh <laughs> uh, well i need to get my sister to come on yes! and, and chat then if you guys because oh, she's so introverted me? she whenever i tell her somebody wants to talk to us she's no. i don't know about that well <laughs> tell, tell her i'm a library nerd all she has to do is listen to this show when it comes out right yeah um and see that exactly. this is a friend this is a friendly spot we're not you know you know we're not uh, this and isn't, it's, it's not live you know i think no. that helps people who yeah yeah you know you're not on the spot no this I, isn't coast uh, to coast yeah. we'd love know? to have her on and i mean we we have to have you back come on down the road i would too, absolutely love to because this is i mean this stuff is really you know it, it's a thing like you know there's so many ghost stories out there and Sitting down and listening to the Southern Gothic podcast, I mean, I'll, I've openly said this for many years that, I mean, ghost stories, I mean, I've gotten to a point where I'm kind of cynical in some ways. Like, oh boy, look, another bridge where you honk the horn three times and a light <laughs> appears out exactly. in front of you. Oh my goodness. But 
from a technical standpoint and a delivery standpoint, I, which we never really got into, listening to your podcast and listening how you, to how you deliver these stories, because Brandon, you got a voice like no other, brother. Yeah, you've, yeah, you, you got a good radio you, voice. Yeah, you, you kill it with with these things. Um, it it really got me like excited about this stuff again. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you so much. Oh well, you guys made my day. <laughs> <laughs> Go walk out, walk out here. My <laughs> wife's gonna see what my chest puffed up. <laughs> Southern yeah. Southern Gothic Media dot com. That's the website. Yep. We'll put this up with all the dressings. Go and subscribe stuff. to it with yeah. all your apps. Yeah, with all your apps, it'll be up on our website with all the dressing on the when we post this show and all that good stuff. Uh, and yeah, again, Brandon, thank you so much for spending some time with us here, and we we have to do it again. Oh, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you, guys. Ghostly Talk!